reading today is Genesis 5 and can be, power, can be found on page 7 of the Church Bibles. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. After he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived a total of 912 years, and then he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. And after he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived a total of 905 years, and then he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalalel. After he became the father of Mahalalel, Kenan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Kenan lived a total of 910 years, and then he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared. After he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Mahalalel lived a total of 895 years, and then he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. After he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years, and then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch, Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. After he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived a total of 969 years, and then he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah and said, He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands, caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. After Noah was born, Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Lamech lived a total of 777 years, and then he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Afternoon all. Um, as always, good to see you. Good to, good to be here with you to join in worshipping our great and gracious God together. Um, I'm going to pray. Uh, in fact, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Um, I'll say a short prayer one line at a time, and ask, if you're able to make that prayer your own, uh, just say it after me, one line at a time, if that's okay. As the kids are going out, okay. Okay, let's bow our hearts together. Dear Father in heaven, repeat after me if you would. Dear Father in heaven, Soften my heart to receive your word. 
convict me of my sin. Move my heart to true repentance. Strengthen my faith through your word. And help me to obey. So that Jesus will be glorified in and through me. Amen. Amen. Well, I I hope you always pray before hearing God's word preached. Uh, I do, always more or less along those lines. To my Father in heaven, who I know loves me, I pray, make soft my heart. My, My heart is not naturally soft, and neither is yours. It is grace that softens it. Convict me of my sin, grant me repentance, grow my faith, help me obey so that Jesus will be glorified in and through me. We should pray this prayer before every sermon, but I wonder if it strikes you as a little strange to pray it before this sermon. After all, Genesis chapter 5 just sounds like a list of who had what sins and when they died. There's nothing here to convict of sin, nothing to repent of, nothing to strengthen faith, nothing to obey. In fact, Moses doesn't tell us to do anything. Thanks. In fact, we might wonder why this chapter is even in the Bible. Does it add anything? Or is it just a space filler? Moses had to hand in a certain number of words, so he just threw in some genealogies here and there to make up the word count. No. Moses was a highly educated man, a literary genius, a revered prophet, a man who spoke with God face to face, the Bible tells us. Nothing of what Moses tells us is arbitrary. It's all here in the Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, for a reason. So what is this strange list of sons and deaths all about? Why is this in the Bible? Well, those of you who were here last week for chapter 4 will remember that Moses gave another list. From verse 17 of chapter 4, Moses listed the sons of Cain. Cain was Adam and Eve's firstborn who murdered his brother Abel, his younger brother, God went after Cain in grace, again and again and again, inviting him to repent. But Cain's heart was hard. He rejected God and came under the damning judgment of verse 16. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And there he had children, both sons and daughters. Moses records that list, the line of Cain, in chapter 4 from verses 17 to 22. And then at the end of chapter 4, we read that God gave Adam and Eve another son, Seth. And Moses lists those two lines, the line of Seth and the line of Cain, next to each other. And it is in laying these two next to each other, side by side, that we'll see what Moses wants us to see. So that's what we're going to do to start with. We're going to look at these two lines and see what Moses is saying. And then, once we see what he's saying we'll ask why he's saying it. So that's where we're going. What is Moses trying to tell us with these two lines, and why? Okay, first, what is Moses saying? What what are we supposed to hear in the telling of these two lines? Three things. First, God wins. Second, God wins. And third, God wins. Well, first, the story of Cain and Seth. Cain had murdered his younger brother Abel in jealousy and anger, but this was no mere killing. 
It was a satanically inspired murder and assassination. Back in chapter 3, verse 15, you'll remember when God pronounced judgment on Satan, he said, the seed of the woman will crush your head. Satan knew what his fate, he knew what was coming. God had already pronounced it. A seed, a child, a son was coming. He would cause the son a degree of pain, but the son would crush his head. Satan knew he had hold of Cain, so he went after Abel, the other seed of the woman, the other son. Kill him, and God's plan is thwarted, or so Satan thought. But chapter 4, verse 25, Eve gave birth to another son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of the one that Abel killed. Sorry, in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. God wins. That's what Moses is telling us in the story. Satan cannot stop God's plan. The giver of life triumphs over the destroyer of life. Another son is given, and the line of the woman continues. The promised serpent crusher will still come. And more than that, in verse 21 of chapter 5, the blessing is restated in the line of Seth. The line of the serpent crusher. Now you are cursed from the ground. You remember God had said to Cain in chapter 4. Blessed by God is the line of Seth, Moses tells us in the beginning of chapter 5. God wins. Satan cannot defeat his plan. The serpent crusher will come. God will preserve for his glory a godly line who call on his name. His plan His purpose for mankind to be image bearers, blessed image bearers, image bearers who love him, who know him, and enjoy co-laboring with him in caring for his world and filling the world with his glory, will be fulfilled. God wins. Second, you remember from chapter 4 that Lamech is the seventh generation in the line of Cain. The number seven in the Bible represents completion. God prepared a land for his people, and on the seventh day, he rested because his work was complete. So the seventh generation is meant to show what that line looks like when it reaches completion, when the seed of that line reaches full bloom. Lamech is the seventh generation in the line of Cain. Enoch is the seventh generation in the line of Seth. And what does Moses tell us about them? Well, Lamech is a cultured man. A man who boasts in poetry. He's a man of the world. He's enlightened. A man who rejects old-fashioned boundaries, even taking two wives. He's a powerful man. The beneficiary of seven generations of a family dynasty that controlled architecture, engineering, town planning, mining, politics, the arts. Lamech is rich, cultured, enlightened, powerful, vengeful, entitled. He is the elite of society. Lamech is the world in defiance of God. Enoch, seventh seventh generation in the line of Seth, Moses tells us in chapter 5, verse 22, Enoch walked with God. Now you notice the difference between how Moses tells us about Lamech and how he tells us about Enoch. The story of Lamech is quite full, comparatively speaking. Moses tells us quite a lot about him. When he was born, the names of his wives, the names of his sons and daughters, what they did. You'll see from verse 20 of chapter 4, Jabal, Lamech's first son that is, was the father of those who who dwell in tents and have livestock. 
Verse 21, Jubal, his second son, was the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. His third son and his sons were miners and metal workers. Moses tells us quite a bit about the life of Lamech. But of Enoch, he says very simply, he walked with God. And again, verse 24, Enoch walked with God. Lamech pursued a successful life in the world apart from God. Enoch wanted God, and God was enough. He would have nothing more said about him than that he walked with his God. Remember, Cain rejected God's grace, and God eventually, in judgment, gave him over to his sin. So Cain, in verse 16 of chapter 4, went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of wandering. Cain was a wanderer, always searching, never finding. And in the end, after seven generations, Cain's line has gained all the world, but they are under the judgment of God, and they're still wanderers. From the time of Seth, Moses tells us, men began to call on the name of the Lord, to understand his purpose and his grace, to receive from their fathers and mothers the testimonies of God's faithfulness and the assurance of God's promise of somehow, someday, a return to the garden, to a place of peace and of rest in the presence of God. And in the end, in the seventh generation, Enoch walked with God. And God, with or without any treasures in this world, God was enough. And God looked on the faith of Enoch and on Enoch's trust in his grace. And God was pleased and God took Enoch home to be with him in his glorious presence. The line of Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Enoch went home to the presence of the Lord, to the presence of the God of grace. God wins. Sin cannot defeat his plan, for God will be glorified in both judgment and grace. Third, at the end of each line, Moses names three sons. In Cain's line, the three sons of Lamech are Jabal, Jubal, and Tubal-Cain. In Seth's line, the last named sons are the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the firstborn of each set of sons are Jabal and Shem. Now what does the firstborn mean in ancient Near Eastern culture? Well, it means to be the heir, the one through whom the family line continues. So what happens to the two lines through these firstborns, firstborn sons, represents the continuing legacy of the family line. So what point is Moses making in bringing them into the story, and specifically in ending each line with them? Well, Jabal was the heir of a powerful and rich family dynasty. He is named here, and we never hear of Cain's line again. In all of Scripture, this is it. They had all the world, and they died. A cursed line, under the judgment of God. Now, of course, of course, death came to Shem's line too. You heard it in the reading, in the repeated drumbeat of death, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Death had entered the world, human death, through sin. Every man and every woman in Seth's line, except Enoch, died. 
But Moses ends the story with Shem, the firstborn of Noah. And who is Shem? Shem is the son through whom will come Abraham. And God made a promise to Abraham, a covenant. In Genesis chapter 17 and verses 1 through 8, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. Now hear this, to be God to you. Hear that again. I am God Almighty. I will establish my covenant with you for an everlasting covenant to be God to you. This is, I don't really even know the words, it's, it, it's the greatest of all promises. The Bible reaches no higher than this promise, for nothing could possibly be higher. I will be God to you. What does it mean, friends, when God Almighty says, I will be God to you? Well, the prophet Jeremiah later told us what it meant. He quotes this verse, They will be my people, I will be their God. I will not turn away from doing good to them. I will rejoice in doing good to them with all my heart, with all my soul, says God. It boggles the mind. Now, friend, just right now, try to imagine what it means that the God who made the planets and the stars and the galaxies, the God who right this moment upholds all the universe by his will, God Almighty, rejoices to do you good with all his heart and all his soul. If God is God to you, then all his omnipotence and all his omniscience and all his kindness and all his faithfulness and all his love are engaged all the time to do good for you every moment of your life. The Apostle Paul later says in Romans chapter 4 that this promise means that Abraham and his descendants will inherit the world. The new world is yours. It belongs to you. When Jesus was approached by the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection, Matthew chapter 22, he said to them, As for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You see, the Sadducees didn't understand this promise to Abraham. They didn't get it. That for God, God Almighty, to say to a man, to a woman, I will be God to you, means that all his godness, all the power of self-existent, self-sustaining, divine life is at work for your good for as long as he continues to be God. I will be God to you, means that even death cannot come between God and you. How could it? How could mere death, weak, feeble, paltry, fleeting, powerless, toothless, impotent death, just puny little death, how could death stand in the face of the boundless power of God Almighty? Can death stand over the body and soul of one of whom God has said, I will be God to you, and say to God, I'm keeping him. I'm keeping her. God wins, friends. 
Even death cannot stop him. Covenant faithfulness triumphs over death. Cain's line ends with Jabel, erased from history. All the gain in the world, apart from God, then gone, under judgment, into eternal wandering, in darkness and damnation, away from the presence of God forever. The account of Seth's line ends with Shem, as the firstborn of the next generation. The line that would continue to Abraham and the great promise that overcomes the steady drumbeat of death. So that all that who are of the faith of Seth, who call on the name of the Lord, who will say with Enoch, you can keep the world, God is all I want, will have God say of them, I will be God to you. And they will live sons and daughters of the Almighty, in his presence, forever. Now, friends, I said at the beginning we need to ask and to answer two big questions this afternoon. First, what is Moses saying with this list of sons and deaths? Here's the big message. God wins. God wins. God wins. Satan cannot defeat him. Sin cannot defeat him. Death cannot defeat him. God wins wins. Now, second question. Why is Moses saying this? Well, remember who he's saying this to. These are the sons of Shem, the line of Seth. These are the offspring of Abraham. These are the generations of the promise. I am God Almighty. I will establish my covenant between me and you, Abraham and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you. 400 years of cruel and bitter slavery in Egypt, God has delivered them. He has kept and sustained them for 40 years in the wilderness. And now they stand at the border of the promised land, a new and a free nation. Moses is saying to them, Israel, live in light of the reality of who this God is. Live in light of his covenant faithfulness. Live in light of his grace. Trust and obey God. Show yourselves, sons of Seth, who call on the name of the Lord. Show yourselves, sons of Enoch, who walk with God. Show yourselves, sons of Abraham, who believe his promises. Trust and obey God. And in trusting and obeying him, show to the world around you that God is a greater treasure than all the treasures of the world. That the promises of God are more precious than all the temptations of the world. They are powerful enemies in the land and powerful enemies surrounding. But remember, Israel, who your God is and trust and obey him alone. It's true, friends, that there is nothing in this passage this list of sons and deaths, there is nothing directly to obey. Moses was still getting there in the story. What he's doing here is laying the foundation, teaching Israel who their God is. He is the God who defeats Satan. He is the God who will be glorified in both judgment and in grace, and whose covenant faithfulness defeats even death. He is a God to be trusted and obeyed. So what about you and me. We aren't the descendants of Israel. So does any of this matter? Friend, 
First of all, your eternal destiny hangs on which of these two family lines you belong to. You see, Moses isn't telling folk tales. He's teaching under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about the God who is. The God who is and who relates to you now and forever on the basis of which family line you're part of. Are you of the line of Cain? Or are you of the line of Seth? And it's not by natural physical descent that you're part of one or the other. It's by your response to God. Your response to the God of grace who shows himself triumphant over Satan, sin and death, to the one true living and holy God. How will you respond to him? Will you resist him and resist his grace as Cain did? Will you suffer Cain's judgment that God would give you over to your sin as you go away from him? Or will you trust in his grace, his grace that covers your sin and promises eternal life in his presence? And God has demonstrated that grace in sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the cross to die under the penalty of your sin. And if you trust in the grace of God displayed in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you trust in grace as Adam and Eve did, as Abel did, as Seth did, as Enoch did, and Abraham did, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Hear that again. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now you might have walked in here this afternoon, a son or a daughter of Cain, a child of Lamech, doomed to the judgment of Jabal, to have all there is to have in this world, but to be under the judgment of God. But right now, by faith, you can be a son or a daughter of Seth, trusting in the grace of God in Christ, and you will be saved. Saved from the power of Satan. Saved from the power of sin. Saved from death. Does your heart say, maybe for the first time, you can keep the world and all its treasures. Give me Jesus. God might, this afternoon, have worked a great miracle and given you a new heart. Just as Moses prophesied that he would. We haven't gotten there yet in the story, but three and a half thousand years ago, Moses prophesied, or sorry, Abraham prophesied, Moses recorded, that God would give his people new hearts. Hearts that were able to respond to grace, to love him with, with their heart and soul. And friend, if that is you, maybe for the first time, come and talk with me, with Peter or John or Anna or Nicolette, somebody you've seen up here, come and talk to with a, one of us afterwards. Now, many of you have already responded in faith to God's grace in Christ. Whether that was 50 years ago or five minutes ago, my brothers and sisters, the message to you is, you are Abraham's seed, heirs of the promise, the great promise. You are those of whom God says, I will be God to you. This passage, this list of sons and deaths, doesn't contain a single command. It is so much more than that. Moses is trying to peel away from your spiritual eyes the veil of this world and show you a different reality. 
10,000 temptations and distractions and momentary pleasures and enticements to your pride and your comfort are preaching to you and have been preaching to you every moment of your life. This is all there is. Have the most. Make the most. Take the most. Fill the cup of worldly pleasure and comfort and ease to overflowing and drink it down deep into your soul daily. There is a different reality, a greater life. The way of Enoch who says, God and God alone is enough. Live for his glory and find joy beyond imagining. God, your God, has defeated Satan, has come after you in amazing grace, displayed, proved forever on the cross at Calvary where his beloved son, the Lord Jesus, died for your salvation. He is Lord over death, and He is God to you. You are invited, you are called, sons and daughters of Abraham, to live in a different reality, to live in the story of God, to inhabit the world in which your God is the defeater of Satan, sin, and death, the giver of undeserved and overflowing grace, the Lord of life. What is that going to look like for you? It's going to look like being different to the world around you, as Enoch was different to Lamech. It's going to look like not fearing death. It's going to look like saying, God and God alone, with or without any other treasure, is enough. Give me God and keep all the rest. For some of you, that's going to mean living out the rest of your days in Kenilworth, showing to Lamech will around us the reality of what it means that God is enough. Will you be Enoch to this town? Will your life tell a different story? For some of you, it's going to mean being sent elsewhere to live the reality of being Abraham's children, of being in Christ somewhere else. When I pray for you, I... uh, pray for you as I always have for myself. Um, In my previous business, even now, uh, Nicolette will tell you we used to pray this often. I used to pray, God, give me no more success in my business than is good for my soul. When I pray for you, I don't pray for your comfort. I don't pray for success in your careers. I pray that God will be enough for you. I pray that you will be like Enoch, who will say, you can keep the world. Give me God. I pray that your eyes will be enlightened, that you will see this story that God has made you, sons and daughters of Abraham, that he has made you part of. That the veil of this world around us is just that, just a veil. There is a greater reality, and we live in it. So let's live in it. Let's live unafraid of death, unafraid of Satan. Let's live out the grace of God. Let's live in the story of the line through Abraham, through Christ, that includes you and I as sons and daughters of the God who says to you, I will be God to you. Won't you bow your hearts with me as I pray? Our gracious God and Father,
We cannot deny the reality of the world around us. The steady drumbeat of death that we have seen for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. The world that tells us this is all there is, make the most of it. Live and be merry, because this is it. But Father, in this passage, you tell us a different story. You tell us of you, the God who has defeated Satan, overcome sin, overcome death, and who through faith in Christ brings us into this line, this line that, this line that lives a different reality. Father, would you be at work in our hearts to live this reality? To live in the reality that Satan is defeated. That you are glorified in having shown grace to us through Christ to free us from the penalty and the power of our sin. That even death cannot hold us. When our bodies have run their race, we will be immediately with our Lord and Savior in your presence. What a reward! What a promise. What a hope. One of our brothers who went before said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. May this be true of us, every one of us, Father. To your glory, in Christ's name. Amen.